Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's show, the first rule of probing in interviews. Here we go. Now, you'd have to agree that most interviews are terrible, right? That's that's no news to to you nor anybody else listening to this podcast, I can imagine. Are you not happy at Manager Tools, Mike? Are you going out and interviewing? Are you are you telling me that you've been doing poorly in your interviews? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. The secret is out. The secret no, is out. no, what I'm getting at, what I'm getting at, when we say interviews, I think most people don't get which side. Most people would say being an interviewee, right? Yeah, it's true. Well, we're not talking about it from the perspective of the candidate in this case. No, we're talking, yeah, we're talking about the manager, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And look at most of us really are not very good at all at interviewing, right? And then when you Agreed. combine that with the weakness, what every manager tools member knows that interviewing is the most important thing you do. Just to say that again, folks, interviewing is right. the most important thing you do most to your manager. Most important thing you do. Um, you combine those two things, eh, it just might be a problem. Maybe. Just maybe. Weakness at the point of battle? is it Weakness at the decision decisive point of battle? Is it, You're saying that's a problem? There you go. The opposite yeah. of mass hmm, at the maybe. point of attack, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's the opposite of Napoleonic success, right? Yeah. And look, the question we get from managers most frequently is, what question should I ask? And- there's a case to be made that that's a good question, and that's why we have our interview creation tool where in 30 minutes you can create an interview for any job you want to interview for, and when you print it out, you'll be amazed at how good it is. But frankly, it's still not the best question. The best question is, how do I evaluate answers to questions that I put to people? That's really the issue. And what's even worse, again, I mean, most of us do this pretty poorly. Now, look, part of the reason why most of us are terrible at evaluating answers is Getting nothing but terrible answers doesn't teach you to be good at evaluating answers. It's just a knee jerk of, well, that's not any good. But in addition, um, when we get a bad answer, sometimes it may be because of the way they're answering, right? It may just be delivery or lack of organization. And so a lot of us don't probe, uh, don't interject and ask more questions Mm. when they hear an answer that they don't find particularly good. And that's what this cast is about. What, the idea here is to quickly get better at evaluating answers by probing the decisions that people make. Uh, when you interview a candidate, you need to listen for situations where they're having to make decisions in the course of their, their answers to your hopefully behavioral interviewing questions. That's what this cast is about, how to probe decisions that candidates make. Yeah, that's a great point. Just, just an aside on interviewing, I think a lot of folks – don't understand that the probing, the delving into the questions, the answers you get to your questions is really what distinguishes a great interview from oh, yeah. a good interview or a poor interview. I remember one time I was interviewing somebody. It was short. I only had like 30 minutes. This was kind of a preliminary interview. I only had 30 minutes. But I asked one question, and the rest of it was probing that one question. Right. And if you if you'd not interjected, I'm guessing, I, you have not told me this before, but if I'm guessing that that one answer might have been a five-minute answer or a seven-minute answer, but you ended up interjecting, asking questions, and it turned into 30 minutes, right? That's exactly right. Exactly yeah, right. exactly. So, folks, it's not asking a question, then getting an answer, asking a question, getting an answer, asking a question, getting an answer. That's not how yeah. great interviews sound. We're going to have multiple casts on on probing and interjecting because there are so many different places where it happens. And I consider this 
to be something I'm really good at. I really enjoy it because, as we'll talk about later, the whole point of interviewing is to spread the field and interjecting does it really, really well. So look, we've got three points we want to make today. First of all, if you want to hire great directs, I promise you one of the things they've done well in their past is they've made great decisions. And I don't mean decisions about great things. I mean great choices as they're working through various situations. Most of us way underestimate the extent to which that our directs are independent from us and how we need people to be able to be smart about the the frequent situations they come to where they have a choice between A, B, and C. You know, it's like Yogi Berra's old saying, if you get to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> you want your directs to take the right one. And if we don't interject, people don't think about how they make decisions when they're acting they just take the decisions for granted, and we assume that the decision is the same as the one we would have made, and it's not. And so you've got to get used to the idea that I want to probe the decisions that my candidates made in their backgrounds in order to determine whether or not their rationales will make sense in the role that I have for them. Huge point, never talked about in the vast majority of literature out there on, on interviewing. It only comes from interviewing lots of people and knowing how. Second point is, we want to share with you the things that candidates say, which indicate a decision was made in the past. Uh, my favorite one is the word so. If you think about it for a second, folks, and we'll go into so in a little bit of detail here in a minute, but, but if you think about it, the word so implies a this happened and so therefore I did this or so therefore that happened. And people just miss it. You know, oh, my boss told me to do this, so... There's an assumption there that a decision was involved. And so we'll, that's an example of it. We'll give you some clues to listen for in the interview. And then point three, what questions do you ask? In other words, how to probe when a candidate mentions a decision uh, or mention, uses the wording that implies that a decision was made. Certainly, there are plenty of times if they say, I decided, that's one thing. But, but we'll also we'll, we'll tell you several phrases that I use, that effective interviewers use all the time to dig down into the rationale that a candidate did. We won't have time in this cast. I, I regret it, but the whole idea of interviewing is fairly complex. We won't have time to teach you how to evaluate answers, but we can tell you this. If you ask more questions, you will be able to learn more quickly the good answers from the bad answers, which cause you, of course, to begin evaluating. Right. Let's talk about decision making here a second, though. Now, I'm surprised. I, I, again, I guess given our business, we, sh we shouldn't be surprised, but I, I am surprised that decision making isn't something that gets talked about very often when it comes to interviewing. Managers, they sit back and they think about the skills that are required for the position at hand. And they ask questions, they try, you know, try to get at skills that relate to the work output. Yet, decision making is terribly important. Yeah, I think there's a lot to that. I think for one thing, companies often put out, you know, this is the job description. And the job description, it may say critical thinking skills, but I promise you managers just gloss over that because they don't know. Most managers would say, I don't know how to evaluate critical thinking skills, right? I kind of know it when I see it, like Justice Potter. Uh, I'm sorry, Justice Potter Stewart, who said, I, you know, I, I can't define pornography, but I know it when I see it. But the point that even if it's in the job description, managers don't know what to do. And yet, you know what so many managers, for instance, Mike, you and I were talking to somebody recently and we said something about a third party. We said, oh yeah, we like the guy. He's smart. Right? Yeah. Well, if you and I started thinking about that for a minute, you know what smart is? The guy makes good decisions. 
And ideally, if he's a leader or a manager, even if he's an individual contributor, if he's somebody, if they're really a good candidate, then they have more in them than just being a, a simple individual contributor. If they're smart, that means they make good decisions, <laughs> that they can be independent. I often think that when somebody says, oh yeah, that guy's really smart, it's because they've looked at the choices that person has made and said, wow, those are good choices. What are choices? Nothing more than decision-making. Yeah, good choices, or at least choices that they would have made. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although, although what's interesting is, we'll talk about this again in a minute. A lot of times when managers hear an answer, they assume that if a good decision was made, it was made for the same reasons that they would have made that decision. And that's not necessarily so. You've got to get the candidate to tell you why they made the decision. And there are some clues that will help you understand why some people's, even if they came to the same conclusion you did, that's not, it would not have been a good choice. That's a good point. It could be just pure luck, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look, because managers want to know about the skills that they can use, right, that relate to the work output, um, and frankly, you and I have done this too, it's, it's normal, the idea would be, right, no sense hiring a great decision maker, a person who's really good at making decisions, if the job is to design buildings, but that great decision maker has never designed a building before. The thing that people miss is decision making, particularly independent decision making, which manager tools approach to managing is you don't micromanage, obviously. But decision making is an inherent part of any really highly attained skill. Anything that is fairly complex, and most workplace environments are fairly complex now. There are a number of different inputs uh, and, and various weights and factors and issues to consider, like time and resources and politics and all those kind of things. The ability to make a decision on one's own that is effective is a huge part of what makes somebody successful. And if you don't ask about it in an interview, when we're so constrained on time on interviews, you won't learn about a person's ability to make decisions. You might be able to infer it, but we'd like to suggest that if you ask a few times in an interview, when you when you interject to find out why they did what they did, what the what the factors were in their choice, you'll discover you have a great deal more understanding about that candidate. And look, according to everybody you read about understanding people in, in complex organizations, so on, decision making is one of the key building blocks of anybody's ability to act independently, to learn, to grow one's skills. It's not, this is not just, we're not just inferring this from, from our experiences and thousands and thousands, tens of thousands now for me, probably interviewing. It's what experts say is a huge part of the human condition. If you want directs who can, who can work independently, and if we want them to be able to do more in the future, right? Their job is going to change or their skills are going to grow and so on. You've got to know about their ability to make decisions. And the only way to do that with any reliability is to ask questions about how they've done so in the past. And that really probing on past decisions, interjecting and asking for more, is literally one of the most classic uses of the fundamental principles of behavioral interviewing, which is future behavior is best predicted by past behavior. And so, folks, if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I don't know that I'm, I'm liking this cast so much. It's, it's a little too, too ethereal, a little too vague. It's not action-oriented. Ask yourself, do you want somebody on your team who knows how to make good decisions? Yeah. Hey, well, given how fast the world is moving today, right? Technology. Yeah. You know, there, there are very few jobs these days where somebody's going to be doing the same thing next year that they're doing today. Things moving too fast. Well, th doing the same thing and doing it in the same way as well, right? Yeah, exactly. And so, and so one has to sense the environment and make decisions about how you're going to do something differently yep. to achieve better yep. results. 
We were at a conference somewhere. I was somewhere and somebody said, yeah, actually what I'm really looking for is more than just that. What I want is somebody who's innovative about it, who comes up with their own ways of improving the process. And maybe they don't have the authority to change the process, but at least they make recommendations based on firsthand knowledge. And folks, if you think that's important to you, if those are the kind of things you look for, inherent in that is decision-making skills. And if you don't have any questions in your interview about decision-making skills and you don't listen for the signs that a decision was made in an example about something else, about engineering skills or sales skills or, or marketing skills or whatever it is, you're not going to know about their decision-making skills. And that's a gap that we don't think you should have to deal with when you're trying to decide whether or not to hire somebody. Exactly. So that's why, that's why this cast exists. Exactly. And the, and the problem is that during the interview, you know, folks are going to go through scenarios where they where they made a decision, but they're not going to necessarily tell you how they made that decision or, if in fact, that they made a decision itself. So yeah. the, the question is, how do you tell when to probe? If you want to get into somebody's decision-making mind there a bit, how do you know when to probe and ask further questions? Yeah. It's really not that hard at a basic level, even if you're not used to doing it. But Basically, you have to know the clues. You have to know the cues that they're going to give you, and we're going to share them. And look, folks, even if you're not good at probing people, right, trying to understand and interjecting to learn more, don't worry about it. You're going to go over the horseman, or the, the McGuire hump of the horseman curve. It's going to be harder in the beginning to add this skill to your interviewing uh, skills. But I promise you, a bad probe, something clumsily delivered where you interject or you interrupt them in order to get them to go back and repeat something, a bad probe is better than no probe at all when it comes to trying to find out about decision-making skills or for that matter, anything else you would probe about to get more information. I mentioned this earlier. The whole point of interviewing is to spread the field, okay? Rather than having everybody clumped around the middle of a bell curve, what you want to do is grab the two ends of that bell curve and pull on them at either end. And so the bell curve gets really, really, really wide. And so the difference between the people in the middle becomes more obvious, okay? That means you need to engage in behaviors that make the candidates who would be bad hires obvious to you. And we want to engage in behaviors that would make the candidate who truly is the right person also obvious to you. Right. Yeah. It's not obvious that they're good or that they're bad, that between them, a whole clump of good people, that the one who's the best is obviously the best. And you're not guessing between three candidates. Exactly. And to be clear, yeah, because telling best from worst is easy. The real test of genius and intellect is telling best from second best. But if there's an order of magnitude difference between best and second best, there's really, it's almost not even worth calling that person who's second, second best, right? And if you work hard enough at an interview, and we don't, by the way, we don't recommend stress interviews at all, but the harder you work to gather more information, the more data you get, the easier it is. In fact, think about it. You probably have three friends. Everybody who's listening has three friends in their life. Yep, that's all and I have. You've known them have for, three. That's yeah, that's right. Well, okay. Well, can I borrow two of them? Because I only, I only have one. Right. Actually, I think I lost that one last week. So if I could just borrow one a year, so I could get back above zero, that'd be great. Um, yeah. Somebody asked me what I thought about there about what they were doing in interviewing. And I told them, and I lost them as a friend. <laughs> I thought they really wanted my honest opinion. Rather, oh, rather than me saying, oh, you're doing just fine. <laughs> If you have three friends that you've known for, let's say, 10 years each, uh, roughly at the same time, 
There's not one person listening right now who couldn't say, yeah, if I had to hire only one of them, it'd be this one. As long as the other ones didn't get their feelings hurt, right? We don't, we're not trying to get you to hurt your friend's feelings. But you would say, after 10 years, I know who's best and who's second best. And maybe one of them's good at marketing and another one's good at operations. But if you're hiring for operations, you'd hire the guy who was good at operations. My point is, if you had 10 years, you would have so much information about all three of those people. The field would have been spread based on your experiences with them. If you only have an hour, an hour and a half, the real skill in interviewing is asking enough questions and the right questions, and that's why we recommend multiple interviews, right? Because it's hard to do, in order to gather enough information to spread the field, okay? Good interviews do both. They make the bad candidates obviously bad for you, and they make the good candidates obviously good. The problem is, if you're going to ask the same questions to fill a job, and you've got several questions to cover in an hour, an hour and a half, you're going to begin, particularly if you're doing 10 interviews in a day, you're beginning to hear the same things over and over again. It's probing that really, really adds the qualitative ability to separate um, the wheat from the chaff. Like I said, answers just begin to sound the same. The best candidates, when they are probed, distinguish themselves. And I'll tell you something, the bad candidates distinguish themselves for all kinds of reasons. Some aren't prepared, some are fibbing, some are just paper thin. And they can't describe how it is they think. And I got to tell you something, folks, if somebody can't describe how they think and the decision they made, they just kind of went with their gut and they said that five times in an interview, you don't want to hire that person, right? That just doesn't make any sense at all. The worst candidates distinguish themselves in exactly the opposite direction than the best candidates do. And more information can come from really, really smart probing. Okay. So are there things that happen or things people say during the interview itself that kind of it's like a little red flag. So oop, here's an opportunity. Yeah. And look, you mentioned red flags. I'll tell you what, for about a year, oh, this has been 20 years ago now. For about a year, I had a little cheat sheet of things I was listening for in interviews mm. in order to separate in certain areas. Now there were several different areas I was looking for, but I got to the point where I could put the cheat sheet away because when I heard one of those phrases, I would perk up and I would want to know more. Now, this, by the way, folks, I encourage you to do that if you like. And you, if, of course, if you're an individual licensee, you can print out the show and it, 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 you'll have it right there. But I will tell you that the downside of that is your ears will perk up when you hear those in non-interview conversations. And remember, not all of your life is an interview and you shouldn't be interviewing your spouse. You shouldn't be interviewing your boss so that when your boss says, I decided, for instance, you don't probe and say, well, can you tell me more about that? Because I'd like to understand. Your <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you said that. Happened. I can see that. Happen. That happened to I me. I can see that happen. That happened to me. Yeah. You do. Look, you do 10, 12 interviews a day. You do it day after day after day, three or four days a week. Dude, after a while, it's just like everybody's interview. And folks, if you're listening to this and you've met me, you've been to a conference and you feel like when I'm talking to you, I'm interviewing you and evaluating your answers, you're dang right I am. Every single one of them, all the time. I'm a nice person. I could be a good friend. And apparently, I need friends. Yeah. yeah and Mark needs a friend. So, somebody would just yeah. <laughs> volunteer. Yes, email. Just That'd throw me a bone. Throw me a bone, right? Um, so, look, here's some phrases. My favorite one is, I decided. And by the way, it often occurs with the second one, which is the word so. So, people say, so I decided to do X. 
And the first time I heard it, I remember one of my mentors saying, if anybody ever says I decided in an interview, you want to know more about that. And if they say the word so, you want to know more about that. And the first time I heard it in an interview, I'd been interviewing for about three or four days. Somebody said, so I decided. And I went, oh, there are two in one sentence, right? All of a sudden. <laughs> um, and what they're saying is they're glossing over. They're jumping from there was a series of uh, facts, a series of actions, and then Based on those actions, I thought about them, evaluated, coalesced them, made a decision about my next course of action, and then took it. But you want to know what that coalescing was. You want to know what that decision was. So the phrase, I decided, that's obvious. The next phrase to listen for is, so I, or even, even just the word so ought to cause your ears to perk up. Okay. And by the way, we'll talk more about how to interject here in a moment, but folks, I, I want to clue you in. I, I was talking to somebody recently uh, at a conference and he was struggling with an interview that he couldn't figure out. He couldn't tell which guy to hire and which guy not to hire. And he said, I'm just worried that I'm interjecting too much. And I said, well, it's of course hard for me to tell. I don't know. I have, don't have a video, but I did notice that when I talked, he, he didn't interrupt me at all. And I suspected it was a case where he thought any interjection was an interruption. But folks, I, I just want to I want to reassure you, if you're the interviewer, you have all the power. You can interject and interrupt at any moment. Candidates are generally fearful enough. They're not scared to death, but they're fearful enough. They understand that you have all the power. Sometimes the really young ones don't, and that's okay. They'll learn, but you absolutely have enough, provided you do it politely. And we'll talk about that in a moment as well. Um, you can interject when you hear the word so. And it's okay, as I mentioned earlier, to even do it clumsily to go, I'm sorry, hold on just one second. I want to go back. Let me see. What was it you were saying? You were saying, okay, yeah, just a moment ago, you said, so I decided that I would. Okay. Take me back a little bit. Explain the the the, the factors that were in in evidence, if you will. And what was your decision? And how did you arrive at that decision? Now, you might worry. You might be saying, ooh, I'm afraid I'm going to use that. He's going to use the word so. I'm going to ask him to describe a decision that's trivial. Don't worry about it. You have a great deal of authority in the interview, and this is how you learn. The first few times you do it, you may choose the wrong so or the wrong I decided, but you'll learn how to do interjections around decision-making abilities better and better and better every time you do it. Don't self-censor to the point where you never ask and say, ooh, that was a time, but I don't know how, and so therefore I'm not going to do it. And again, we'll share with you ways to probe words to say here in just a moment. So, so, so the words so I or so then I are, again, there's implication that there's a cause and effect. Now, again, the, I alluded to this. There are some trivial situations where you probably don't need to jump in for elaboration if somebody uses the word so. For instance, if a candidate said, he said it was okay to move forward, so I continued with my plan. In that case, the rationale for the continuation of this candidate's plan is, is stated beforehand. But you could still interject if you wanted to, and the candidates are generally fairly malleable and they'll tolerate you interjecting in that situation. The problem is too many of us start with the idea that the inherent if-then that is implied with the word so or I decided is obvious, and so we don't ask for the clarification. And as I mentioned earlier, a big part of that is because people assume that if the candidate is implying that it is natural, the transition, then it's natural, the conclusion they drew, that therefore that must mean that it was a fairly straightforward thing. And they must be using the same logic that we would have had to have used for us for it to believe that it was a fairly trivial thing that didn't require explication. But if you believe that, you might as well not interview anybody. 
because you're going to always assume away the potential differences and the pot- potential subtleties of the differences, the great differences between a great candidate and a good candidate and a very great candidate. Asking for clarification on issues like this is an important part of the due diligence we do when we bring human capital into our organization. Okay. Another one, the word obvious, as in it was obvious or obviously, (laughs) you know, this is a case where the candidate is using a form of verbal shorthand. They're not trying to not tell us their thinking. They're not trying to just gloss over it. Although there are some rare cases where they're, they're doing that on purpose. They're trying to get you to say to yourself, well, if it was obvious, then I don't need to probe when in fact their rationale is pretty thin. But if they use the word obvious, it's time for you to interject to understand why it was obvious. And if it's obvious, and if in fact truly was obvious, they won't have any problem giving you the obviously trivial rationale why they chose the course of action they did. And if they thought it was trivial, and you hear that their their thinking is all convoluted, that's a bad sign. Okay? Another one. I concluded. Or I came to the conclusion. Okay. Now, this one you ought to be able to see from a mile away, right? I came to the conclusion. The mo- If I were interviewing Mike, M- Mike, in fact, use that phrase, I came to the conclusion. I came to the conclusion that the... Uh- okay, Mike, hold, hold on just one second. If you don't mind, let me just interject here real quickly. So, tell me, how did you come to the conclusion? And there it is. There's the interjection right there. Yeah. And my answer would be, it was obvious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I would say, oh, well, okay, that's, that's, a, that's a good sign. I, I happen to agree with the decision. And by the way, that's me softening you up so you'll tend to get more relaxed and therefore not be clear and totally prepared and ironclad in your answer. Why was it obvious? What made it obvious? I could give the same answer that my five-year-old son gave when I, when I asked a question of him one time. He says, because I'm a genius. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm sorry. We don't have any positions for geniuses. All all those were filled um, when your peers were hired. Yeah. So again, how and why are good uh, handmaidens here to the, to the, the I concluded also another one. And this one's a little bit more in depth, but it goes to the same basic decision was the word of the use plan as in my, uh, the use of the word plan as in my plan was right. The process that candidates go through to move at some point from creating a plan to actually acting on the plan is a hugely valuable part of their value to the firm and to you, right? Effective interviewers never let an opportunity go by to ask about how a candidate developed their plan. And by the way, to your joke earlier about it's obvious and I concluded and, and I'm a genius, I've interviewed many, many people. And I will say the skew is toward younger ones who haven't yet learned how to interview and also haven't really ever thought through their autonomic thinking about, about decisions. And of course, really, really effective decisions come from good judgment, comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. And some young people haven't had enough knock, knocks and bruises to say, okay, yeah, maybe I need to learn a better way of doing that. But when you ask them and they say, well, it's, it was really not that big a deal. And then you, you dig into it and you discover they literally don't have an answer. That's a concern. Yeah, that's a concern. It's really a concern because what that means is they can't reproduce what was not obvious to them when you put them in a role in a similar situation. And of course, if you're doing a behavioral interview, there's no question you're going to be asking that isn't tied to some sort of behavior you're going to see them using in the future. 
And if they can't reproduce the thinking that made for the good example in their past that they're sharing with you, what makes you think they can do it again if they can't reproduce it verbally? Yeah, that's that's a problem. So those are some examples. Okay, so you've identified an opportunity to probe. So now answer me the riddle and riddle me this. How do you probe? How do you do yeah. that specifically? What what questions do you ask? Yeah. Yeah, this is manager tools, right? So we get right down to the brass tacks. Folks, remember what John Wayne said. If you think I've insulted you, you're mistaken. Because if I've insulted you, you'll damn sure know it. So we don't mean to insult you here. We're just going to give you the exact words to say. And this is based on the fact when you ask a behavioral interviewing question, candidates are hopefully going to describe what they did to achieve some past accomplishment or address some particular situation you've put in front of them. Inherent, again, inherent in those actions is a series of decisions. All actions of human beings are predicated by decisions. So here are some simple interjections you can use to gain insight into what the, what the candidate you're talking to, what their decision-making process was. Now, we'll have a separate cast on examples of how to easily interject, how to smoothly interject. And, and frankly, Mike, we'll probably need to do video so people can see body mm. language and so on. But in all of these cases I'm about to give you, you might find it helpful to preface them with a phrase like, sorry to interrupt, or excuse me for just a moment, or pardon me, or if I could please, right? But here are some examples. If you would please go back quickly and explain your thinking there. Why did you choose that action? Why did you choose that plan? Okay. Another one. Excuse me, can you tell me more about how you came to that decision? In fact, tell me more is one of the behavioral interviewers' great heavy weapons. Use it a lot. Here's another one. Take a moment and walk me through your logic there. Or take a moment and walk me through your rationale there. Another one. Excuse me, just one second. Why that course of action? Now, mind you, if I have a more experienced person, I'm going to say, go back and tell me why about that decision. If I'm interviewing somebody without as much experience, I'd say, would you take a moment, go back through, walk me through your rationale, the planning and so on that you did, right? I'm going to give them, I'm going to lead them a little bit more forward. I'm going to try to lay out the, the exact question as opposed to with somebody more experienced, I might say, just go back and tell me why you did that. What was your rationale? A little bit different wording, but better Then another one. Help me understand your analysis here. Why did you make the choices you made? And something else. If I feel like a candidate is doing poorly and I've asked them a tough question in order to slam the door, when they get into it, the moment they say anything about a decision, I'm going to immediately put up my hand. I'm going to say, stop, hold on, describe that decision in detail for me. Now, asking that in that way comes across slightly as an assertive moment on my part. And that's exactly what the, the way they'll take it. And if they're a, a candidate that's not ready for you, that, that answer, that, that interjection will be seen as much more forceful and will tend to break them down or, or to make them not do well much more quickly than, would you excuse me for just a moment? Um, I'd like you to go back, if you would, please. Take a moment and walk me through your rationale for that decision. Many candidates will say, wasn't that a nice way for him to interject? I'll be happy to do that for him. <laughs> Whereas, again, if I have somebody more experienced or if I have somebody who's very close to being told no, I'll say, stop, go back, tell me why you did what you did. Now, that's a subtlety I didn't plan on sharing in this podcast, but there it is, folks. That's one of the ways you separate the wheat from the chaff. Another example can you elaborate on your analysis for me, please? Now, we could, we could come up with 50 more, and you, you, some of you who are experienced might go, those all sound kind of the same. Yes, they do all 
sound kind of the same. And yet what I've discovered when giving people words to say, a good example would be the feedback model. Some people like having different words to say. Uh, and so all of these work interchangeably. I might deliver each one of them a little bit differently. Some of them a little bit more abruptness, some with a little bit more, a little bit more smoothness, a little bit more uh, eloquency, if you will. But in the same way that we've had to say, can I give you some feedback? Can I share something with you? Can I make an observation? Can I provide an observation? All those phrases work. And some people say, I could never say the word feedback. And yet I've been saying feedback more than almost anybody in the world and nobody seems to mind. Yeah. And by the way, if you're a new if you're a new manager or if you're a manager and you're interviewing for the first time, you don't have to make this your own. Just say the words. These words will get you an answer that will help you decide about the decision-making ability of a candidate. Okay, so let's let's talk about that. So we can spend like the next 10 hours talking about how to evaluate what good answers uh, <laughs> sound like. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. It would, it would literally be almost infinitely longer if we got into how, how to evaluate what good answers might sound like. But I can say this, I can't, I can't really, I mean, that's something that'll come out in future casts and so on. But we can say that the worst answer is to any of these probes about decision making, I promise you, if your candidate answers abruptly or with one sentence or with something like, it's really pretty obvious, isn't it? It's likely that they are either unwilling or unable to share their thinking. It's either really not something that they're proud of, or frankly, in some cases, it's rare, but it happens. People are making the story up and they didn't expect their story to be poked holes in at all. And by the way, if your candidates begin to feel like you're poking holes in their stories, that's good because the best candidates' whole stories have no holes to be poked. And so they never feel like their stories are having holes poked in them. The weaker candidate's the one who feels that their stories begin to have holes poked in them. And that's your job is to poke holes in their stories if there are holes to be poked. And some candidates are just so arrogant. They don't think you need to know, or I'll tell you something else. They're not prepared for the question and they're trying to skate across as fast as they can. And you know what, folks, if you have that gut feeling that it just sounds a little too good, you better start interjecting. And hopefully this cast will make it easy because we've given you several examples of how to do it. And by the way, all the examples I just gave, those people are all distinguishing themselves in the wrong direction. (laughs) That's not good. And that's it. I mean, it's really pretty straightforward. We'll have a lot of different variations on this theme when we put together all the casts we'll do about interviewing, since interviewing is the most important thing a manager does. Um, But just quickly to wrap up, great decisions make for great directs, or put differently, great directs make great decisions. We shared things candidates say to make to indicate a decision has been made, and hopefully we've shared enough probes that you can use when the candidate does make a decision. And just probe and listen to the answer. And by the way, when you're really good, you'll discover, as I think Mike did in his 30-minute answer, 30-minute interview with only one question, one major question, you might probe on a probe on a probe, right? You might probe and then get something that's interesting and you probe further and then you still have to probe further. That's really hard for the candidate to pick back up, but that's what interviewing is about, to see how candidates handle really hard interviews. Not stressful interviews. We can do this politely. We can do this professionally. We can do it with class and we can make it tough because- We want the bar to be raised very high. Look, probing about decisions isn't hard. It's just something most of us don't do very much. We're too busy thinking about that particular skill, whether it's creativity with new media or closing customers or queuing theory or cost-efficient structural design, whatever it is. But in all those skills and abilities, decision-making is a hugely important underlying factor. And rest assured, the group of candidates who can talk about why they did what they did 
is the same group as the group who knows how to make good decisions. And if this is important, isn't important to you, that's fine. Just hire a bunch of people who bring you every single decision they have to make and let you make them for them and see how far you get like that. That works. Yeah, that works. <laughs> Talk about micromanaging, right? Yeah. Wow. All right, my friend. Thanks. Thanks, partner. Except for that last that, that last suggestion. That, that one. <laughs> no, thanks. no thanks. Not taking that one. No thanks. All right, buddy. We'll see you. Thanks, everyone. That's it. Hey, if you have any questions on this topic or any of the other topics we've covered in the over 500 podcasts we've produced so far, ask us from the discussion forums. We'd love to help you out www.manager-tools.com forward slash forums. All right, we'll see you there. So long, folks.